Good Evans, it's a Bobcast. Welcome to episode 36. I am your host, Bob Evans, but my mum calls me Kevin. Thanks for tuning in again, or if it's your first time, hi, welcome, come in. Take a seat, grab a drink, settle in and make yourself comfortable. Um, Now, once again, if you've reviewed and rated this podcast on iTunes, I would like to convey to you my warmest, warmest gratitude. I've been enjoying doing the regular catch-ups with Josh Pike during the coronavirus season, which continues on and may well do for some time to come. Uh, But I'm also going to continue to try and organise new guests and record more podcasts that adhere to the original Bobcast formula that we've all grown to know and love, such as this one that you're about to listen to. Uh, Zan Rowe is someone that I know you guys will recognise um, from her years of hosting mornings on Triple J. Uh, Zan can now be found over at Double J doing her thing, as well as on her podcast Bang On with Miff Warhurst, which is a really great podcast. I can recommend checking it out if you haven't already. Uh, Zan and I have been speaking to each other on a regular basis for at least the last 15 years. Um, However, this is the first time that the tables have turned and now I am playing host and Zan is my guest. Um, I've always had loads of respect for Zan as a broadcaster. She's always been such a pro, you know, in her years at Triple J. And she's carved out a a, a really impressive career as an interviewer as well. Um, As a musician, you know, I've experienced a lot of different interview situations over the last 25 years and you know it's not uncommon for things like you know turning up to an interview and you see the host holding your bio in their hands that they've you know that they've just grabbed from the printer before they've walked into the room and they just sit in front of you sometimes and just read your bio back to you and every now and then stop and say so tell us more about that it's like the the least the lowest bar possible uh, for interviewing it's painful for everyone involved Zan has always stood out as a serious music person. She puts in the work and the time and the effort and the research to create a discussion that's interesting and insightful. So I was really, really pleased that she agreed uh, to catching up on a Zoom uh, meeting, which we were all becoming... uh, It's the first time I've ever hosted a Zoom meeting. So, you know, if there was uh, ever any evidence that the world is changing rapidly, then that's it. Um... I really, really enjoyed spending time with Zan. I hope that you do as well. Oh, and I've also I have received mail lately on. So my email address is goodevansbobcast at gmail dot com. That's goodevansbobcast all lowercase at gmail dot com. Um, yes, there's been some mail asking me about the theme music to this show and where it comes from um which uh i realized yeah i never even thought to uh talk about bob um it's actually an an, an old demo recording uh from a song that i was working on around 2014 2015 i never finished it i never put vocals on it or anything um i can't even remember how the vocals to, to it went um but i just obviously it, the original demo would have been you know much longer this is a very an edited version of um of just the instrumental track that never had anything else uh put onto it so um it doesn't even have a name well i guess it's the good heavens it's a bobcast theme song um so there you go that's the history there um anyway enjoy this chat with zan robe this is episode 36 of good heavens it's a bobcast Hey, Zan, how are you going? I'm great. Are we in it? Thank you are we so in the podcast much. Yeah, now? we're in it. We're going. <laughs> we're in it. This is the thing you don't even know. You know I'm a I just slide, slide you straight in there. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. You've um, just got off 
uh, your shift, right? Yeah, always working. Just always talking, <laughs> always talking at people. And then you say, hey, Zan, do you want to talk at people some more? And I'm like, I'd love to. This is quite a role reversal for us, isn't it? I think this is the only time. I mean, we've spoken to each other many times over the years, but um, but usually you're the one in the, in the driver's seat. I know. And I'll tell you what, I'm actually quite nervous. And this, I get a taste <laughs> of my own medicine because you asked me to think of three songs. And all those right. times, literally every week when I ask people to take five, of which you've done as well. Yes. Um, I, people are always like, oh, I don't know how to pick five songs. And it's, mm. it's really hard. So I'm really getting a taste of my own my own medicine having to pick three. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah, well, I mean, my memory of doing the Take Five last time I did it with you, I, I can't even remember what the theme was, but I remember I chose the songs just by, I, I didn't, I just kind of went for the first five that came to my mind. I didn't sort of spend ages trying to come up with the ultimate kind of list because it just changes. It changes like day by totally. day, week by week, regardless of the theme, it's ever, ever changing. Which is the beauty of music, isn't it? And that's what I always say to people. It's not These are not the definitive five best songs. That's why I give people themes as well because it makes it easier. But, yeah, it's impossible. Like having to pick five songs or make lists is like my worst nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> So yeah. it's funny that I make people do it every week. <laughs> but, yeah, obviously it always shifts. Like your, your relationship to music and to songs shift depending on what age you are and, and mm. what they mean to you personally and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's the beauty of music, isn't it? Yeah, it's always totally. interchangeable. Yeah, I mean, I go, I go um, periods of time where I kind of, kind of forget it, but like something will have there will be records or songs, usually records that have this really profound impact on me for a, a certain amount of time. Might have be like a year or two years, and then I'll go years and years and years where I don't sort of, where I just don't listen to that record for whatever reason. Could be as simple as like. I, I only own it on vinyl and my record player doesn't work for years or something like that. And then, which it just actually happened. There's a bunch of records that, um, I, that I, I didn't have a record player, a working record player for about eight years. And then I finally got around to buying a new one about three years ago and I was rediscovering all these vinyl records that I hadn't listened to in years that I just didn't have digital copies of. And these were like really profoundly important records. Um, that yeah, i just gone years kind of, not checking back in with. Yeah, I've got the same thing at the moment with my CD collection and it's very I think it's very 90s to have a CD collection, but I will not let it go. <laughs> but I don't have a CD player. Like I I just bought I just moved relocated back from Sydney to Melbourne where I'm from after 14 years living in Sydney. Wow. I lost lost my stereo in the process and so I've been rebuilding that but I still don't have a CD player. And who buys a CD player these days? But I've got all these CDs and for the same reason, it's just like, it's such a great, it's like a snapshot, like a time capsule of my life. Mm. I'll never let them go. Um, But yeah, I need to get a player to be reminded of some of those amazing records because they're things that just slip your mind Mm. with streaming services, I think. They're not front of mind unless you, for me, I've got to have a visual display of my collection. Otherwise, I'm just kind of, I'm all sorts. It just goes out of my brain. Well, you'd be, I mean, as part of your job at Double J, and for, I mean, for all the all the years since going way back to, you know, when you started at Triple J, I mean, one of the things that I find like with for someone like you with your job, you have every day or every week, you have to be on top of like new stuff that's coming out all the time. So you'd be listening to, you'd always just be listening to stuff digitally, right, in that role. How do you deal with like so much incoming music and critiquing it and what process do you go through trying to figure out what you're going to give attention to or what's worthy or like how does that process even work when you're inundated with stuff every single week? Yeah, it's 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 a huge amount of music and I try to convey that sometimes when I get, you know, emails from bands or from labels or people who are just pitching music and asking for feedback and stuff. It's just like it, I, I am going to get to it, but um, sometimes mm. it takes a little bit longer because, you know, in addition to doing my radio show every, show every day, which is three hours of doing something else plus all the prep time, yeah, mm. there's a lot of listening. It just takes time to listen and you don't want to, when someone's made something, you don't want to just be like flip through it or judge a book by its cover. I do try to listen to everything that I'm sent, but I, I get a lot of emails. I also rely heavily on that that notion of it takes a village. Like I truly believe that. So I'm always sort of finding out what, friends of mine and colleagues are listening to right. and we have a music meeting as well through the Triple J and Double J crew where we talk about the stuff that we're excited by so the whole you know group listening thing helps but 
I'm always behind and um and that's a bit that sort of gets me down sometimes because you're like someone's put so much work into creating this and I've got a, a platform where I can share that with people and I just I just have to try and find a time to to listen to it but yeah it's a huge amount of, of music I reckon I probably get um, at least a hundred songs each week pitched to yeah. me um, and de- depending on you know de- and I think at the moment as well everyone's getting around to the projects that they've been meaning to do because there's nothing else to do if you're a musician you can <laughs> create but you can't go out on tour so yeah. there's even more music coming in which is um quite amazing too I mean it's because over the last you know 20 25 years since I've been doing music anyway it just seems like with with every technological advance it just makes um making music accessible to so many more people and so the amount of stuff getting released and the amount of music landing on your desk would just be increasing like all the time right (laughs) those files would just be getting bigger and bigger and bigger do you do you ever get to i mean when you're spending so much time in your day or your week sort of covering all of that how much time do you get to just spend listening to music that isn't for work? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. That I have a rule. I used to have a rule, and I still try to keep to it, that whenever I'm on holidays, I only listen to old records because I right. want to do that. Because I think that there's like, you know, when you do something that you love for a job, it is the best thing in the world, but you also don't want to turn your passion into something that feels like work. Mm. So I try to take breathers and just listen to stuff and not, you know, that I'm not critical about or that I'm not thinking about it with radio ears. Um, And Mm. so I do have those parameters. And seriously, whenever I go to someone's house and they're like, can you pick something? I'm like, no, this is where you pick the music, you know. (laughs) Um, it's You've got to take your moments to to also just let other people, you know, to take over the – the DJing, um, which is also means that yeah. I find, you know, some, something else that I've never heard before, which is great. But, um, but yeah, I try to do that rule of when I'm on holidays, I only listen to my old records. Um, but I still, yeah. you know, I also just got, like, I just got a record player, um, again, you know, from after relocating, and I just got a sick speaker system, which sounds so nice. good. And I've been awesome. like, so it's hot. I'm just going to get some subwoofers <laughs> for it soon. It'll be perfect. <laughs> But I, I've been rediscovering my vinyl collection as well and listening to, like, great. I found this great record um, recently that I haven't listened to in ages um, that was a Bill Callahan live recording that was recorded at the TOF um, in Melbourne. Oh, yeah, in, yeah. like, I think it was recorded in 2007. The album came out in, t- in 2010. And I've only got it on vinyl. Like, it's not on any streaming services or anything like that. So yeah. having the record player again, I've just been listening to that um, and it's been so nice. So... Yeah, it's kind of like visiting old friends, isn't it? You don't always get to mm. do it that often, but when you do, you're like, why don't we do this more often? It's that kind yeah, of Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, how's 2020 going? Because anybody that, I've spoke, that I'm speaking to, which, you know, lately hasn't been many people, and we can actually see each other too um, because we're on Zoom, but um, I, I can't uh, not ask about how 2020 is going for them and with all the fucking crazy coronavirus stuff how much of an impact has all of that had on your life your your work your day-to-day work life or you personally has it has it changed things a, a huge amount or what's your kind of what's your kind of takeaway from it so far yeah it's definitely changed things a huge amount i've I consider myself super lucky that I have a job um, that yeah. ABC workers are considered essential workers and that I have a workplace that was pretty on top of things from the get-go so I come into work three days a week. I work from home two days a week. But when I come into work, there's not many people around. It's really just the people who are on air and producers. So it feels okay, like in terms of social distancing. Um, Funny story. Here's one of the byproducts of COVID. All the buttons in the studio are falling off because we are alcohol wiping the whole desk every day. Ah. And the little plastic buttons, on and off buttons on the radio studio, (laughs) their cases are coming off. So tech services at the ABC hates us right now. Um, I thought but, you were going to say that, you know, you had to put, like cling wrap over every no. single button or something when you Close. start every shift and then take it off at the end or something like that. We broadcast in hazmat suits at the ABC. 
BBC. That's how we do it. <laughs> um, but other than that, like it's weirdly, I think that you you adjust to things pretty quickly, or at least I've I've been adjusting things pretty quickly, and so it's just normal for me to go, okay, cool. Ten minutes before, I would normally get into the studio, come in and wipe everything down, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, I've had my own bouts of. Um, anxiety and confusion like anybody else. Mm. I haven't – I think that moving in a pandemic, like I'm relocated, like I said, from Sydney to Melbourne um, and moving house in a pandemic when everybody is panic buying and you literally don't have any food on the shelves and you're just trying to find yeah. basics was yeah. a little bit stressful. Um, but I just feel – I feel very I feel very lucky to have a job and to have a, a healthy family and to be healthy myself and um, – yeah, and to be kind of being able to, I think one of the one of the best things about broadcasting during this time, and particularly at that real pointy end when it was there was so much anxiety, it was mm. so like just you, everyone was glued to the news. I really yeah. found like on air people were looking to to Double J and and other music stations as a relief, and it was mm. the audience response was amazing because it was like oh people actually need to be taken care of and they need a bit of respite. So uh. feeling that connection again, like radio, what, the, the reason that I got into radio was because I got, I loved having a connection with an audience who were passionate as well and being able to share the things that I love with a lot of people and then and feel part of a community. And I really felt that community um, with the Double J fam during that time in particular, just so many people reaching uh. out and saying, you know, thank you for for lifting us with the music and also just the power of music, what music has done to to ease people's anxieties. And we're seeing that. Like I saw today uh, something that was shared by um, Third Man Records, which is Jack White's label in Nashville, and they shared this YouTube playlist of ambient and re- relaxing songs. And it's like <laughs> like Jack White and Third Man are the last people you'd think of for that. But I feel like everybody sure. is just looking to music as a, a place to – just exhale and take a breath. Um, and so I've been really mindful of that. And, and you know, I don't when – I, when I say the ABC is an essential service, I don't think of myself as an essential worker, but I do think of music as an essential part of Absolutely, yeah. of our life. And, and when it comes to mental health and taking care of ourselves, I've just been – that's just been proven to me. Like I've just seen a huge – it's been a huge difference um, that it's made. So, yeah, I've been doing fine. I'm just um, – I just don't know what day it is, like anybody else, and I, I, I find it I find it hard to because I'm usually there's so many things going on every year and lots of great projects that we do at, at Double J and across the ABC. I'm used to, as I'm sure you are, like you're used to planning around. Here's when I go on tour, and here's when there are songs mm. released, and here's this project. And when you don't have any of that, I'm really bad at just kind of swimming in the the unknown. But I'm trying to get better at that. Mm. It's just been it's so weird. Like <clears throat> I was thinking about this today. Just earlier today, like in, I remember in January this year. When did you move back to Melbourne? Was it oh, yeah. around Christmas time? Or, yeah, yeah. Over- it was like it pretty much came back from long service leave. I got to be overseas for four months, timing, um, <laughs> and then came back in in January. Um, crashed with my parents and then moved into a new place in March, right in the middle of the pandemic. Oh my god! And now you're in the Australian COVID hotspot, <laughs> the COVID capital. Everybody Currently, hates yeah. Victorians right now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, in I remember in January um, being down the beach, and the, the the beach got closed because of all the smoke and everything from the bushfires. And I remember at that time thinking that you know not only w- would these bushfires kind of dictate or be that the the major kind of event of twenty twenty, but I also thought too that it would be it had the potential anyway because of all the pressure that Scott Morrison was under and, and it had the potential to um, maybe be the turning point in how we uh, start um, doing something about climate change. Mm. Um, and it just feels like that was so long ago now and and that conversation has completely fallen off the radar. And, I, yeah, it's just – and then with all the Black Lives Matter stuff that has been going on, it just recently, and that there's still an American election to come in November. It's like that's a lot. There's a lot, a lot of stuff for people to try and wrap their heads around 
in in a single year yeah i mean when when i think about it it kind of does my head in and i wonder how yeah i wonder how many people are you know kind of just struggling with the amount of intense information that there is to absorb at the, you know at the moment it's overwhelming i remember there was a story around the time again of that peak covid you know breaking news everything's falling apart all over the world and there was a story, I forget where it was, of um, a run of locusts and, like, legit. Oh, there was, like, yeah, yeah. like, I think I remember that, yeah. And, and people were just like, oh, come on, you know. It's yeah, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's the end of the world. But I think that the bush, like the bushfires and, you know, the conversations around climate change and the momentum lost there, absolutely, that's one of the biggest casualties of this. And you would hope mm. that we come back to that. But also just the people who literally their houses are still waiting to be rebuilt, people yes. are waiting for money, all that kind of stuff. I just think you and, – and that and that being in that vulnerable stage and then having oh to deal with a, with a pandemic, it's just, it's just awful. I, um, I, I feel like that, that feeling of being overwhelmed um, is something that we're all experiencing, some worse than others. I, weirdly, I've got a few friends who deal with pretty intense anxiety and I've checked in with them regularly during this period and there's a, a few of them have said to me it's actually okay because anxiety and this is just their case scenario this is certainly not a generalist you know example but they mm. sort of said that anxiety is first of all everybody's feeling it so I feel like I'm not so alone anymore which is an interesting right. take but also yeah, yeah. Ang- but anxiety is about is totally illogical and often you're anxious about things that are intangible and yet everything right. in everything right now is tangible because it's everyone in the world's experiencing yeah. it so i'm not so overwhelmed so i was yes. like oh that's interesting it's not so bad for those who are suffering anxiety <laughs> right yeah yeah because they've got this confirmation daily confirmation that you yes you should be worried again it's, <laughs> this is just the uh, the ex- the example of just um a few of my friends i'm certainly not a not a psychologist or, yeah. or a medical professional. No, on this podcast, Anne, you're allowed to dish out, <laughs> uh, you know, medical. I mean, you should have the, uh, the, the, the medical um, advice or knowledge that I've just been throwing out there over the last uh, couple of months whilst talking about coronavirus. Uh, I think the first couple of times I might have said, look, you know, just in case anybody's wondering, I'm not a doctor. So that, but now I just don't even worry about it anymore. What's your just advice? Just there. chew on a few cloves of garlic and all the best? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I guess, I guess, look, all I do is regurgitate information that I've heard people who sound like they know what they're talking about and saying. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like, you know, I'm listening to listening to the right people. I try to listen to the right people, but... um. But let's talk about music and I guess I would like to know about where your passion for music kind of came from or started, what your, you know, your early music listening memories are and if you were surrounded by music growing up in your house um, with your parents' musical people. Yeah, I mean, all of that. My parents weren't musical in that they didn't play instruments, but they definitely loved music and... They were great in taking us to concerts. I think my dad was a massive, and my mum and my you know my brothers too, but massive Midnight Oil fan. Um, oh. And that was one of the first concerts. I think it was the first concert I ever went to. Oh, cool! The Diesel and Dust tour. I think I nice. would have been about ten. Eighty. Um, yeah, that was eighty-seven, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I was n- nine or ten. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I was born in seventy-eight. So that sounds about right. And it was amazing, like seeing. You know, it was such powerful music, but also I was like, "Wow, that guy can really dance!" And um, <laughs> and and I remember that um, Rob Hurst was playing like a they had set up on stage a, a sort of a, a tin um, a water tin thing like, like yes, Corrugated like, Island, and he was playing that. Yeah, um, c- certain things that will just never you'll never forget. And I think that that experience of live music um, just filled me with fire from a very early age. I got to see U2 on their Rattle and Hum tour. This is a funny one because I I was a big fan of that record. Again, one of those, you know, big double albums that um, would be playing on the record player at home a lot. And we went along to the the show and B.B. King was the support act. And I seriously remember, I think I remember saying to my folks, when is this old guy going to finish the U2 can start? (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) Of course you did. Look, you know, given your age, there's no shame in that. Look, it's funny you mention mention those two albums because um, 
they like Rattling Hum was the first U2 record I remember ever hearing, and mm. Diesel and Dust was the first Midnight Oil record I that's amazing hearing, and and only really sort of. But I I feel like particularly Diesel and Dust, it was a little bit like you know, like Whispering Jack or something like that. Like it just felt like there was a copy of that record in everybody's house. Totally in the late eighties, like everyone. Yeah. It was you know it was just like a. There are some of those records that I don't know if that happens these days. But back then, there were just certain records that just you just bought. They were like staples, you know. You had yeah. to, you had to have them in your collection. Yeah, part of the furniture. And Tracy Chapman's first record as well. That was also in yes. everybody's house. <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> and I don't even remember my parents ever even listening to Midnight Oil. But we had the tape. We had it on. We had it in the house. I don't remember them ever putting it on. I love that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think Whispering Jack was on as well, like that. Um, I think in excess, kick was that was that was my one. first that was the first bought record I ever bought with my own pocket money. No way! I saved up for eight <laughs> weeks and I went to Brushes on Puckle Street, Mooney Ponds. Yeah. Went to the Brushes and and bought um bought Kick and bloody loved it. It was amazing gatefold vinyl and it just had wow. Kick on the inside and it was a photograph of the back of Michael Hutchins and he was just kind of pointing in a cool way. Yeah. yeah. What a record! <laughs> What did you ever um, did you ever play an instrument yourself or sing or <laughs> anything like that? I did. I, look, I gave on, it a red hot go. Because I think I've heard I've heard you. I have heard you sing a little bit. Um, when what was it? Was it with? Was it when you did you interview Paul McCartney and sing? No, who who did you sing with? That you, I you definitely did not sing with Paul McCartney. Who, I would I, never I know. do that. Well, was it? Um, <laughs> I sang A Whole New World with Alan Menken, who wrote all the Disney musicals, <laughs> that once, <laughs> which he was quite amused by, I think. Um, I don't know. Who else have I sung? I'm trying to think. God, you've got a better memory than I do, Kev. Well, I mean, I'm. Um, it's, it's not that great because I can't remember the details. But- <laughs> Look, I did. I do. I don't. I don't have a horrible voice, but I'm certainly not a singer. I do like to sing, you know, here and there, um, privately. But I did. I I try. I tried to learn every instrument, and I think for me, I never learned how to read music, and so it was kind of like, a, a, you know, a barrier to understanding another language. Mm. But I gave it a go. I, I learned, or at least I tried to learn. Glockenspiel, guitar three times, <laughs> piano a few times, French horn, tenor horn, what else? I kind of went through all of them and then at a certain point I just stopped. But I kind of regret that. It's like I regret, you know, because when you're a little kid you're such a sponge mm. and I could have really, you know, gotten some grounding but I just I never learned how to how to read music and I think that that – and I know some people do it by ear but – um. Yeah, I just never quite got there and I kind of just gave up. I used to seriously go to band camp when I was in early high school, like in year seven, yep. and mime playing the French horn because I didn't actually know what I was doing. So I was just pretending to play in in the band's look, practice, I, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> yes. I Look, Zan, I can uh, completely relate to that because uh, <laughs> the first – and because I think also when you're, when you're a kid too, you, these, oftentimes instruments kind of get – they they get given to you when you're little sometimes and you don't yeah I don't know so, like when I was in grade three I started learning the violin and it was through school and like four kids were selected to to learn to take these violin lessons which I did I did I did it for about three years and I quit because I didn't like practicing I wanted to be outside you know kicking the football um, yeah and so and so I learned to read music and then promptly forgot until I learned a second time and then <laughs> forgot a second time as well but um. <laughs> but uh, but yes. Yeah, so anyway, so part of playing the violin was we were part, at the school was like the four of us who were learning. We would then one afternoon a week go off and play in like a regional youth orchestra, right, with all these other kids from all other different schools all together. And yeah, I, I was like, I used to mime as well the violin, like because I I was so far I could not keep up re- with reading the music, could not keep up with everybody. And so yeah, I used to just. Play with that bow, just a tiny little millimeter away from the strings. <laughs> Air violin, because I could keep in time. I think I was pretty convincing, but uh, yes, I did the air violin. So yes, I totally uh, can relate to that to that feeling, that fraudulent feeling of 
I mean, I remember being right at the back too, so it was pretty easy to... Oh, I was totally right yeah. at the back. And you know what? Band camp was fun other than that. Band camp was really fun. You got to hang out with boys. There was ghost stories. There was a lot of fun things that had nothing to do with band at band camp. It was great. <laughs> what about when you um, when you, you got into high school and your, your teenage years? There's, there's something I'm kind of quite fascinated to, to, <laughs> to hear about in detail is... Um, Something that was uh, came up uh, again a couple of years ago. I think it might have been uh, something you're sh- sharing on Instagram, but it was uh, Zan's rave days. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm fascinated to hear more about your rave days, Zan. Can you can you tell me? <laughs> because I too, what a time! I too dabbled in some rave days and nights, and um, and I want to see how much of our stories um, you know, connect up. So. Um, so yes, rave days. When did they start? How did they start? Well, I mean, it was a bit. There was a very big rave scene in Melbourne in the nineties. Mm. So I would have started going to raves when I was probably seventeen, sixteen, seventeen. Um, and there was lots in. I think they used to have some of them down in Docklands, what's now known as Docklands. Although I guess it was then. Now it's a bit more residential now. Mm. Um, there's a lot in North Melbourne. We used to go to different raves. Carl Cox, I went and saw a few times. Did you ever go to Earthcore? No. <laughs> I did go to I did go to Comfest though. Oh, okay. And they had a I think I remember they had a bush doof at Comfest. Doof, but yeah. I never went to I never went to Earthcore or Rainbow Serpent. That was a bridge too far for me. Um but I was more of a kind of weekend raver, not yeah. a whole weekend raver, just a Friday, Saturday night. Um but I had a great time. Like it was, you know, it's it's an amazing, like it's a full body experience when you go to a rave and just being, again, I think I've been thinking about that a lot when, you know, we've been stuck without being able to go out and feel live music and you just sort of think, oh, what what is music without having being able to experience it around other people and that energy of other people, that transference of other people, literally mm. feeling the bass through your body, through your organs mm-hmm. is still an incredible experience. Um, but also just, you know, going into a, a wild sort of meditation like it's interesting I, I went to um this is to, you know going back into rave zan's rave days of september last year i was in berlin in september okay. and um i hadn't been i obviously hadn't been raving in a long time but i was there seeing some friends of mine i was like i want to go to Berghain, which is the famous club there okay uh we didn't get in no one gets into Berghain. Oh, and but okay. we did go out to a couple other raves and i was really interested to see that raving in in germany was the like um, the domain of the the older person, like that, most right. people were sort of over thirty or forty. Mm. Uh, so different to Australia, where you think Zan's rave days—that's what I did when I was young—but you don't really go out raving now. Yeah. Um, but if there was a rave presented to me, I would totally turn up for it. I won't tell you what I did at those raves. I'll just say that I had a, lo- a very good time and I stayed up very late. <laughs> um, did you? I remember um, during the uh, late nineties in in Melbourne when you know when Jeb's first started touring. I think around ninety six. And first sort of visiting Melbourne and staying in Fitzroy and along Brunswick Street, there were a bunch of um, clothes shops that uh, yes. used to... Well, they were the unofficial suppliers of uh, yes. of the ravers of Melbourne. <laughs> the happy and, pants. Oh, there's some of the gear. Like, and, and there will be photos floating around of Jebediah and um, Vanessa in Jebs. She bought, she bought a couple of pairs of... They were these... They were really massive, baggy, and long shorts that kind of, yeah. you know, went that finished sort of halfway between the knee and the ankle. But like <laughs> one of them was like just all completely fluffy and in black and yellow stripes, like could be. Yes. yes. <laughs> and you know that someone at a rave would have gone up and just started stroking that at one point. You know, totally. that would have been a comfort to them. Yeah. <laughs> I never got into the whole raver fashion. I was kind of like I would. De- I was always a sort of fringe going in between different circles and I was definitely wearing, you know, 90s sort of grunge, dresses made out of old curtains, had the right. hair in pigtails, like the Bjork pigtails, um, but I never really dressed like a raver. I just kind of, you know, I wore clothes that were loose-fitting and I didn't care what they'd smell like the next day pretty much, but yeah. never, ever, <laughs> never owned a pair of fluffy pants. What about, um, did you do, this is what my uh, wife or girlfriend at the time was always wearing uh, long Flare, like flared pants um, and over the top like a pinafore type um, dress. Oh, yeah. 
I used to wear dresses over hard yakka pants. The hard yakka pants <laughs> is the base, and then the vintage dress is the top. Was the ultimate. <laughs> oh, the rave days. Um, well, let's talk about your three sections. So, um, normally, as people who have listened to this before would know, if you haven't uh, tuned in before. So, when I first started this podcast, the idea about list uh, going through songs was that um, people would look at their top 25 most played list on iTunes. Mm. Um, and, and and in fact, at the time, a lot of people didn't even know that existed. Um, but on your iTunes or whatever, it, it, it kind of keeps count or whatever. And, um, you know, it was often an interesting exercise because often there'd be songs in there that people had listened to a lot didn't realise they listened to so much. Um, but the interesting thing that's kind of happened over the last sort of four years is that um, iTunes has just become less and less uh, the kind of go-to media player for people and, you know, Spotify seems to be uh, more and more what people are kind of listening to their music through. And so the concept, so then I just kind of changed it to like, oh, maybe what's the, you know, last three songs you listen to on Spotify or whatever. And now I've just got to the point where I've just thrown the whole idea out altogether (laughs) and now I just feel like... uh, just give us three. What what three songs? Do, great, no theme. Just three, three songs, songs. Do you like? Yeah, great. <laughs> but I but I suggested, um, you know, um, as you do uh, with your take five, you know, a, a, maybe a theme or something if you wanted to try and um, make it more concise. So how did you how did you go with your three songs and what what theme did you decide to go for? Well, I kind of just picked three songs, not specifically a theme, but I picked songs that were significant to me and a couple of artists that are have been huge part of my life personally and creatively and in some ways professionally and then a newer song from an artist who I've had a lot of engagement with I chatted with a lot of times and I really think is like the future of music who I love so it's kind of like a couple of legends and one who is an amazing Australian artist who I'm a bit obsessed by so it's kind of like the past and present slash future Okay. Well, where do you, where do you want to start? Um, past, present, or future? Let's start with the past. Um, nice. I'll start with a Talking Head song, which will be no surprise to anybody oh, who's cool. ever listened to any of my, you know, radio shows. I'm a massive Talking Heads fan, um, and this must be the place. Naive Melody is was one of my favourite songs of theirs. Many people's favourite. I guess I chose this one because um, David Byrne is someone who has just inspired me through my whole life. And there's something special. I, I really, again, I love the music. I, get, I love that I get to play in the realm of music for a job. But there is something a little bit different about the artists that I fell in love with and became obsessed with before I was doing it for work. There's just something a little bit different about it. And he was someone that... Um, The very first guy that I fell in love with was an American fella. I actually moved from Melbourne to LA for a period when I was about 19, which now that I think of it, I'm like, God, my parents had a lot of faith in me. They probably just realized they couldn't stop me. Um, (laughs) And so I had had a really wild couple of years, like three years in, in America. Oh, no way. So you lived in LA for three years from 19 to 22? Yeah, from ni- from about 19 to 21. Um, and, yeah, it was like six months in LA, six months in Melbourne. I'd pretty much come back to Melbourne, 
work at a servo um, down on the Westgate freeway um, oh, wow. and just deferred my uni course, saved as much money as I could and then fly back to America and live there for another six months, then come home and work and then fly back. Wow. So I sort of lived in these two worlds, but he was um, he was a few years older than me and he he opened my world to a bunch of music that I hadn't engaged with up until that point. Like as a teenager, I was a real Anglophile. I was massively into a bunch of UK music. Mm. Obviously, Cool Britannia was a huge thing at the time that I was growing up Mm. um, and and discovering my own musical tastes. And then he, obviously coming from America, just opened me into this world of of all these incredible American artists and it completely shifted my life. Like I, I think that I associate and not only in music, but in all forms of culture, I'm just so much more connected to um, American culture and American musical history than I am to British. And I think that that's in a big part. He sort of kickstarted that Mm. and he was obsessed by David Byrne and talking heads. So he really introduced me to a bunch of, those early records beyond the radio hits that I'd heard, like yeah. And She Was and, you know, Take Me to the River and all that. Like we went back to those very early records. You know, my favourite Talking Heads album is like more songs about buildings and food, like early sort of days. So are we talking um, like early 80s or earlier than that? Like late 70s. Like they're very, you know, they're late sort 70s, of, yeah. yeah. So that kind of really angular post-punk Talking Heads sound. Mm. Yeah. Um, right. And they started working with Brian Eno and obviously they continued to and, and David continued to. But, um, but yeah, then, you know, I, I fell in love with everything that he did. And, the, you know, again, this guy was just obsessed by everything David Byrne. So we would like dived into all of his side projects and he's just such a polymath. Like he's got his Luakabop label. He's done all kinds of wild art projects, made documentaries about, you know, strange customs and made strange films and he's just such an interesting guy and I kind of took on that obsessive um, fandom and and went with it. So when I finally got to meet David Byrne years later when I was working at Triple J and interview him, um, it was a huge deal for me and I, you know, it was a few years into my career then and I was pretty comfortable with meeting people it's kind of like at a certain point you're like oh you know we're all human our our shit all of our shit stinks you know it's just like you're just a person but when I saw him walking down the hallway I almost doubled over almost vomiting because I was so nervous (laughs) (laughs) like I can't believe I'm about to meet David Byrne were you like I mean what do you do in that situation are you like when I mean you know I know you as a, a a total pro always thought you know at triple j you know always such a professional presenter what do you do in that situation how like are you able to kind of like tell people that you know how much their music means to you and or like do you have to separate that or how do you do that how do you deal with those situations I have sometimes said that, but then I learned pretty quickly, and I'm sure you've had people come up to you and say that to you, Kev, and what can you say to that? Like, if you're, if you're a total pro and you're used to hearing it, or you just, like, you know, you're just super confident and you know how to take a compliment, you'd be like, thanks. But most people are just like, oh, okay, great. You know, it's like <laughs> it's me, me telling you how much I love your work is kind of like the conversation ends there, and it's, yeah, I've always yeah. found that whenever I did it, it would make things a little bit awkward. Yeah. So I just do you know, what I would always do for any interview, but particularly for someone that I'm really invested in and is, you know, hugely respectful of is just research the shit out of it and make sure that I give them the respect of of a good chat. And um, with David, it was, you know, all of those nerves just melted away as soon as he walked up to me in a full white suit, of course, because he's David Byrne. Um, and he just had that air of someone who was just so open and warm and it just all melted away. And I also, like, I really remember this. I remember sitting opposite him and just thinking, oh, you're my friend because he'd been in my life for so long and I was so used to him. And I'm like, that's right, I'm just looking at my friend, which was really kind of, I distinctly remember thinking that and feeling wow. calm, and I think that it was a it was a real grounding moment. That's beautiful. So yeah, I got the I got the chance to interview him. It's just yeah, it was so special, and it's still one of my one of my big highlights of life having the chance to speak to him. Um, and I spoke to him a couple of times over the years, and then I actually saw him in that incredible American Utopia show that he toured to Australia. But he I saw it in New York um, in November, and again it was just like that thing of. I'm so I know his music so much, but having him, you know, recontextualize it in that show and talk in between each song about 
this path that his life had taken and the music that he was writing at the time just it just really confirmed what an incredible artist and and thinker he is wow. you know he's just one of one of a kind so i feel yeah he's um he's really special and this song is just so beautiful like it just makes you feel grounded and good it's just such a beautiful song i'm so glad that um he you know uh I guess lived up to expect ex- expectations of <laughs> being a. You know, obviously, it was a really warm, good experience. There must be times where, you know, they they say, uh, you know, not never to meet your idols. Um, there must be times where you've been had the opportunity to interview somebody who you've really admired and looked up to, and have been really let down. And I would, you know, not going to pressure you to name any names. But that must hey, have man, happened. Hey, man, shame. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hang on. I'll just turn, I'm just going to turn the uh, recording <laughs> off now. Uh, <laughs> there actually, you know what? There actually haven't been that many. Like most of the people, there's one thing that I've observed over years of chatting with people is that most people who have had long careers are actually really lovely. And I think that that's because mm. they have let go of maybe some of the bullshit of their youth when they don't feel as though they have to prove mm. themselves. But they generally they work in an industry like again as you would know where you come across a lot of people in your life and everybody's got shit going on and kindness is just a nice way to and openness is a good way to to operate in this world like the music industry yeah. is massive but also very small in some ways so yeah. there's actually not that many people who are awful and again I know, I don't want to blow my own trumpet but I do like to think that I I when I chat with people I do the work, I research, and they know that I'm not wasting their time, so they generally yeah. give give me, you know, a great conversation and, and seem to enjoy it. So I think that it's about what you bring to the conversation more than what um, what the person's attitude or not attitude is like. Yeah, 100%. Um, all right, what about what's next then? We've done past. Was uh, we going to go to present next? Yeah, let's throw in a present. Um, Sampa the Great. Ah, I just right. Love her. I think that she's so incredible. Is she Melbourne-based? Melbourne-based. Was living in Sydney for a while. Um, born in Botswana, raised in Zambia, and kind of started her music career um, when she moved to Australia. And she's just amazing. Like, the first time I heard her, I think she released a short EP with a song called Female, F E M A. L-E, and I was just like, who is this? Um, she just immediately grabbed my attention, had incredible delivery, but also the stuff that she was rapping about and singing about uh, really caught my ear. And she's just gone on to have conversations around her her identity and where she fits into the world, which before all of these conversations were happening that are happening right now in terms of Black Lives Matter and systemic racism and inequality like she was having these conversations a long time ago Mm. and has just continued to really stand up and be proud and 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 sing and rap to a to a sense of black pride and black excellence Um, but from a Mm. uniquely Australian perspective which is one Mm. of someone who's grown up in a number of different places and certainly has a very different perspective to the world that you or than you or I have, mm. um, and I just think, geez, you throw all that in the mix and just some banging production, and she's just <laughs> so exciting. Like her song "Final Form," which is my choice for today, um, awesome. is just like the first time I heard it, I got so excited and just wanted to punch the air and strut and just you know when you're like, you, you, your breath is taken away, you feel like that you know something just lifts in you um, and I feel that every time I hear it like it's never gone away it was my favourite song of last year and it's every time I hear it it gives me the same big boost um, and, and the same sense of empowerment so um, yeah I just think that she's brilliant The Lace Lady travel with Grace Baby I can't afford to cover the course of course maybe settle that one in court cause judging by the basics Y'all already comfortable, stuck up in the matrix Shit is basic, past credentials But I understand your favorite rapper, peep my gold potential I'm out of shame, been past 
exit Trying to fit the circle cause I don't know how to act shit Half of y'all was steady insecure, don't try to backflip Just because the seasoning and flow's already active Only four years, fantastic Young veteran, new classic Nah, knock the walls off Fuck the whole key, we gon' hinge the whole door off I'm still AD, never forget it It's life after death, roll the credits Credit my make, I take a trip to see Jamaica Molly spirit with the vapor back design That's the nature, Africa, the new America I hope I run this permanent And this I put my pen in it, got my land and my permit with it Bone on my bone, flesh off my flesh Weightness in me, you can't make me feel less Less hold, I'm not impressed And, I did, and also one of those artists who She's so, like that song is all about Basically, she's not in her final form and life is the process. And I, I find that such a great conversation because there's so much focus and pressure on people coming out, um, you know, out fighting and the first album being this big statement and then no one cares about the mm. second album and all that shit. And it's just like she's basically mm. saying, I'm a work in progress. I'm on a journey. Follow me. And I just I really think that she's smashing it now, but she's just going to get better and better. Um, So I'm excited to be witness to that. I'm excited to be living in the same time as Sampa the Great. I think she's just awesome. It's exciting to hear, um, you know, those kind of Australian voices coming out, you know, like because, you know, it's representative, I guess, of, you know, large communities um, in Australia that um, I think traditionally have struggled to kind of break through whatever kind of uh, ceiling and stuff there is and, and because I thought the same thing when I first heard uh, TK Meitzer as well, mm. it, it was so damn exciting because it was like you know the the lid kind of coming off and and and, and just hearing something or just for me being exposed to something that I hadn't been exposed to before an Australian voice that like you say is really unique mm. um, is super exciting. You know, it doesn't happen all the time. And that, uh, yeah, that feeling of discovery of something that seems really important and special is, uh, is the best. And that's totally what I, what I, uh, what I get from, from people like uh, Sample the Great. Yeah, and I think also it speaks to that, what we were talking about earlier about having, there's so much because um, of the di- digitization and delivery of music, the, you know, those gatekeepers that used to say what, you know, determine what we would hear and what we would see on stages. Mm. They still exist, but they certainly don't dominate in the way that they used to. And all of yeah. these different sounds find their audience, you know, um, with or despite the support um, or lack of support that, that they're getting. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, that that democratisation of music is can only be a good thing. Um, and mm. I, I think that there's, you know, Sampa's got a freaking massive, massive following in the UK in particular. Yeah. Yeah, and right. it's just... Um, it's awesome to see, you know, the best stuff rise to the top regardless of, you know, who thinks they're in charge. I love it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, and future. What's, our, what's your future pick? Oh, well, that was more of my future. I was going to go with two oh, oldies. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Cool. Do you want to do a pickup or should we just roll with it? I'm giving you a radio nah, pickup chance. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's, um, what's a pickup set? <laughs> It's like, do you want to ask me the question again? Nah, let's just go. Nah. Loose has. Just go. Um, all right. The- what else are you? What, okay, no, oh, let's do a pickup. Okay, you ready? <laughs> yep. I'm just, I'm just going to leave all this in anyway. Um, what else have you got for us, Dad? <laughs> very smooth, Kev. Very smooth. I'm glad you asked. Um, I, I'm going to share with you a song from another one of my favourites, uh, one of those lifers for me, uh, Björk, from her Vespertine cool. record, which is my favourite, uh, a song oh, called Cocoon.
Björk is one of those people who, you know, there's, I'm trying to think of like how many artists there are in in my collection, people that I'm a fan of, that I'm legitimately like, oh my God, what are they doing next? And I'm so excited to hear what they do next. And I've thought that through the entire career that I've been following them through, you know, 20 odd years. I don't think there's many people like that. Like I'm kind of curious, but Björk, I'm just honestly like, whoa, where's she going to go next? Because she's... She's such an incredible trailblazer, but she also just yeah. never conforms to mm. any sort of idea of mainstream popular music, what you think where you think she's going to go. She's constantly breaking ground with technology, um, you know, nature, organisms, doing crazy collaborations with David Attenborough, making some of the most astounding video clips that you've ever seen. And also in all of this, she shows one of the things that I love about Björk and particularly why I love this Vespertine record is that she has such incredible strength, but one of the key parts of that strength on this album is showing her vulnerability. Like the, the lyrics in this album are just so raw and exposed and beautiful and there's such power in that. Like it's still, even just talking about it, I got shivers. I just love I love this album so much. I love Björk so much and I just think that she's like again I just am so so excited and feel so lucky to be living in the same time as her. She's yeah. she's someone I've never interviewed and I would love to do a take 5 with her. Um dearly mm. love to do that. Definitely been chasing it, but yeah. She's an incredible artist and I just think that she's there's no one else in the world like Björk and her songs, like she can just make absolute bangers and then she can make wild ambient stuff and, you know, the sort of – she did a VR exhibition where she did all these videos, crazy virtual reality videos, 360 video. I don't know. She just – whenever you think that she's – it's like, what's she going to do next? Oh, something I never would have imagined. It's just yeah. yay. <laughs> love. I love yeah. her so much. I think she's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um yeah, she's like a she's like an alien. She's like otherworldly. It's probably I don't know, like some, like maybe what David Bowie, someone like that. Yeah, what it would have been like following David Bowie in the you know seventies, eighties. Um, just somebody who is always pushing boundaries and can do anything. And like even you know even outside of like you know mentioned some stuff that she's done you know around the periphery of music, but. Remember she was in that movie, um, I think it was called Dance, Dancer in the Dark. Is it Dancer in the Dark? Dancer in the Dark, yeah, Lars von Trier. And it was, that was insanely good. It was so, her, she was incredible. The movie was, I, I, I mean, I just remember seeing it at, at the cinemas when, I, when it came out and being really profoundly <laughs> affected by it. It was such an intense movie. She was incredible. I don't think she's done any acting since that movie. Um, yeah, I think you're right, actually. I don't think she's done. Apparently, I heard a, in interviews that she had a really unpleasant experience making it and so she, that she's just never wanted to act again. But, um, I mean, she was incredible in that. Have, have you seen her um, perform live? I've seen her, yeah, do a couple of very different shows. I think I saw her when she toured. It would have been in the late noughties, maybe. It was around the Volta album, so it was like 2007, 2008, and she came out for the big day out, um, and I didn't see her there, but she ended up playing another show in conjunction with the Sydney Festival where she played on the forecourt of the Opera House, and at the end of the show in the encore, they set off fireworks just over Sydney Harbour. <laughs> it's just like, great, awesome, this is awesome. But, yeah, I saw her perform then. And then I also saw her um, a few years ago. She came out for this virtual reality um, I- exhibition of her video clips that she'd been doing, and it was at a venue called Carriage Works in oh, Sydney. Yeah. And it was part of the Vivid Festival, and she did a, a DJ set in this massive hall and it was completely sold out and she was in the corner, no lights on her, the DJ like decks completely surrounded by ferns and plants and hiding and everyone just sort of like crunching up in the corner and trying to put their phones up and take photos and she just played the most non-DJ, whatever you think, you know, you th- you thought you were going to get. There were no bangers. It was the worst wilder sound. I think there was some whale song in there at one stage and I was like, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I love people that have spent $120 to come and see you DJ and you're just really messing with them. But it was um <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. She's 
She's one in a million, just incredible artist. I saw her in um, in New York. Oh, wow. Well, it's probably one of my all-time favourite concerts I've ever seen in my life was watching Björk at Radio City Musical. And it would have been around about 2008-ish, um, 2007. Um, she, she had a big choir on stage with her. Um, and But, it, I mean, obviously the location for me made it special. I mean, going to see anybody at Radio City Musical for the first time would have been a, a big event for, for me. Yeah. But um, but she was just, she absolutely blew me away. And yeah, it would be easily be in my top five live concerts of all time. She's the best. And I'm a, I'm a fan. I love Björk. I'm a fan. I own a bunch of her records. I'm not a super fan, but I I. I couldn't imagine anybody going to that concert and not leaving being profoundly affected by it, you know. She was just brilliant, really, really good. She's a game changer. I once saw Aretha Franklin at Radio City Music Hall. Wow. She ordered burgers in the middle of the set and they arrived. It was freaking amazing. <laughs> That's so good. When was that? That would have been 2009. I was actually there with Lindsay the Dr. McDougal. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we um we went along. This is actually this is a funny story. Do you remember when the global financial crisis happened and Kevin Rudd gave every Australian like a thousand dollars to stimulate the economy? I do we decided to, we decided to spend that on airfares and leave the country? Um, because at the same nice. time, I think because of the GFC, all these airfares were cheap. So we just zipped over. There was right. got eleven hundred dollar return airfares to New York. And we went along to this festival that was happening in in Woodstock, um, called All Tomorrow's Parties, which was amazing. But we had oh, a few, yeah. we had a few days in New York, and I just I, as I do whenever I go to any place that I'm visiting anywhere in the world, I always Google like what gigs are going to be on at the time because it is so fun seeing, particularly in New York, but so fun seeing anywhere um, music in another country. And Aretha Franklin was playing, and I was like, "Hell yes!" So we had yes. like nose nosebleed sections. We were literally in the last row of Radio right. City Music Hall, and yep. it was perfect. Loved it. I remember just going in there and just being amazed, just looking at, around at the place before the show even started. It's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, building. Um, yeah, that foyer is amazing. Yeah, it's just, yeah. So did Aretha Franklin play, what sort of a set did she play? Was it long? Did she play stuff from her whole catalogue? What what kind of a set did she do? Yeah, she was like greatest hits, but a lot of banter. And she really was like, at first we thought, is she joking about ordering the burgers? And then she just kept on mentioning it. And like, is she got like a burger sponsorship? Like there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a chain, there's a chain in America called White Castle and they'd make oh, yeah, like these yeah. tiny burgers. Yeah. And she's just like, you know, get me some White Castle. Who's going to get me some White Castle? I'm like, what, is she serious? And then she just kept on talking about it. I'm like, what is happening? It was such a surreal experience. So there was a lot of banter about burgers and then, <laughs> You know, the hits. But she, you know, she still had it. Like, it was before she, you know, obviously wasn't well in her in her last years. Yeah. Um, but she was still, like, that voice. Yeah. Like, what a gift. I'm so, I'm so, I am feel so lucky that I was able to uh, to see her live. She just, we were at the back envious. of Radio City Music Hall, but it was hitting us right at the back yeah. there. It was just phenomenal. Oh, that's awesome. I'm jealous. Thank you so much for chatting to me, Zan, and um, giving up a, a, a Part of your day after you just knocked off from your your shift on the on the radio. Um, Thank you. I you know I love always to always love take chill. Sorry to do it again. <laughs> Don't pick up. You know I always <laughs> love chatting with you, Kev. This is the thing though. As soon as I finished on radio, I lose the ability to speak. So up yeah, until that well, point, I was golden. And then as soon as you start wrapping up, I'm like sleepy time now. Sleepy time. No, but I, you know, I do. I always love chatting with you. You're a, you're a joy to converse with. So thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you, Zan. Um, uh, so uh, we should talk about quickly uh, the Bang On podcast that you do with uh, with Miff is is back after a bit of a break. Yeah. Um, no shortage of so for you know people who ha- perhaps haven't listened to it. It's, uh, it's a you know culture, society, art, music stuff. Whatever we want to talk about. But, I mean, you must have no shortage of stuff to talk about at the moment. Gee. Well, yeah. I mean, seriously, it's kind of we came back in a pretty hectic time. We're just trying to make sense of the world. And we certainly Mm. don't, like we say in the podcast, we certainly don't try to make any grand conclusions about anything. But we're just sort of searching through, like everybody is, to try and understand, you know, the the world that we're in. But, you know, it's it's amazing. Like we had eight months away and – I've seen Miff, you know, away from Bang On, obviously, but it was um, 
it's so good to do the podcast with her again. Like it just it felt like no time had passed, and it's just it's one of the, my favorite things that I've ever done in my career. So we're oh, we're awesome. super super happy to be able to be back and you know talking shit as always. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's really really fun. Can I make a prediction on one one of the talking points that's going to be on the next episode? Yes, the uh, changing of the names of Redskins and Chicos. Well, you know what? Funny you should say that. We were talking last week about, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about this kind of day of reckoning, time of reckoning um, mm. and accountability. And while I think that that's great, they've changed their name, I still think that all of these uh, these little shifts in the culture um, are great, but it's not what we should be focusing on, which is in Australia, black deaths in custody, mm. injustice, and in America... Black deaths at the hands of police as well. So, yeah, I was thinking about that actually, whether we'll discuss that. But I don't know. I think that there's there's a point where some of those things become the main story, and maybe they shouldn't mm. be. Yeah, it I is think- long overdue though, and I really I think that this stuff is like I've never seen change happen on this scale. So I have hope mm. with that. It's just you know got to keep the the foot the foot on the pedal and make mm. sure that it's not just something that dissipates like bushfires and climate change this is something that's been an issue for many hundreds of years and it needs to change at a deep level which is Mm. super challenging to get your head around but also geez it's going to be better for everyone if we do it's got to do the work i'm right with you there zan um thank you so much and um yeah looking forward to hearing uh you and miff again and and you on double j of course and every time you pop up on the abc I'm everywhere, aren't I? You actually, even if you didn't want to see me, too bad. I'll just be there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Heath, for doing this, Dan. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kev. It was a pleasure. 